0: Welcome to the Ask Brian podcast radio show, where you'll hear from some of the most successful founders and CEOs of businesses and startups, sharing their best advice for success, and even some stories on how their mistakes actually make them even more successful. Now, here are your hosts, Brian and Tracy.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. you listen to KHTS 1220 and 98.1 FM. The S. Brian Radio Show, every Thursday, 1 to 2 p.m. in Los Angeles. And, as usual, everybody asks us, every show, why is Brian spelled with an E? Our guest doesn't understand. Why did they spell Brian with an E? When he was going to school, it was B-R-Y-A-N or B-R-I-A-N. So every week, we have to explain to the audience, so if you've listened before, I apologize, but for those newbies that haven't heard the show, they want to understand why we have an E in the word Brian. Why is it as Brian with an E? So we have our lovely co-host. Where is she? New Mexico today? Arizona? Georgia? Florida? I don't know. I'm thinking she's... (laughs) (laughs) It's
0: always a mystery. I'll leave it such. But, yes, it's never a mystery as to why we have the E in Ask Brian. And one of the biggest reasons is because our engineer's name is Emily. Woo!
1: I thought it had to do with engineer being spelled with an E.
0: Well, engineer is spelled with an E, but our engineer's name is Emily, which is also spelled with an E, which is double excellent.
1: Well, what if she was an electrical engineer? Then she'd have triple E's. Electrical Engineer Emily.
0: Emily. Wow. She would, but she probably wouldn't be engineering our show, and that would not be acceptable
1: with an A. <laughs> but, but you know, the board has all these electrical things, so maybe she has some electrical background.
0: I well, maybe not. she does. But, yeah, see, there you have it. And she speaks again. She's starting to be a little more brave and uh, venture out more. So, love hearing you, Emily. You know, everybody uh, so, but, says
1: my Everybody says my hair and my eyeglasses. I look like Ben Franklin with my hairstyle, and the fact is, he invented electricity when he had a little kite up there. So maybe that's why we have the E in here. Maybe that's a possibility, or just okay, relative, maybe, but I don't think any of that made any sense. Einstein. That's a reach. A distant relative named Einstein. Maybe that's it. Anyway, okay,
0: maybe we just keep going with our our <laughs> our E's that we all get excited about. So in most importantly is the word expert, because the people that we interview on the Ask Ryan show are definitely experts within their fields, and they share a lot of entrepreneurial expertise with us on the show.
1: Well, Obviously, you and I are not experts, but everyone that comes on the show is, so yes.
0: Well, I beg to disagree with you. I am an expert. <laughs> you can say that about your own self, but I, I am an expert.
1: You're an expert in knowing the (laughs) E's.
0: I am an expert in knowing the E's, among other exceptional things.
1: Exceptional, another E. Exactly. Is this uh, Is that like Ted's excellent adventure, or what? Do we have an excellent?
0: Most days, my life is like Ted's
1: excellent adventure. Yes, it is. (laughs) Especially Thursdays. (laughs) (laughs) Always Thursdays, with no
0: exception.
1: Absolutely. Well, you know, the biggest E's we haven't even come to yet, so when are you going to come to the biggest E's?
0: Well, I, I really always like to save one of them until the end, but there's definitely, well, we're very excited. We're very excited about our guest today. We are very energetic about being able to deliver such amazing information today, and we are obviously providing excellence in everything that we do on the Ask Brian
1: Show. Well, there's a couple of you left off, but we do got to get going. So, one, Grease Lightning. Yes, Grease Lightning. What about lightning. it? Um, the show is electrifying. It's, it's and electrifying we're very, very, very and, enthusiastic. Woo! And exhilarating. But what's the biggest one? You missed the biggest one.
0: Oh, I don't wh- wanna why do you put spot. me on the spot like this? I don't know.
1: Education. <laughs> we educate our audience.
0: Well, we did say entrepreneurial expertise, so I thought I covered that. But okay, yes, the education is what you are going to receive today. There is no doubt about that.
1: Well, as long as we're electrifying, as, as they do on Grease Lightning, we're very, very excited to have our guests. And do you know what his company starts with? It starts with an E. And what is the name of that company? Yucca with this snag. Exactly right. And without any further ado, how do you spell ado? A D I E U. And why do I like that word?
0: Because it's almost all vowels and very few
1: consonants. Absolutely. Without any further ado, can I get a drum roll? No drum roll. All right. Hey. Low budget. Sorry. Low budget. <laughs> I got to speak to my <laughs> podcast producer. Anyway, <laughs> we're back, and without any further ado, we have our guest. These name of the company is eucalyptus med and his name is jorge or are you there yes you survived i'm Best amazed. Year. stick stuck around okay <laughs> <laughs> pleasure to be with you tracy and peter thank you very much thank well, you, you you're very tenacious not everybody says
0: that by the way <laughs>
1: <laughs> they say a lot of things about me but we can't repeat that because this is a live show and there might be people under 18 on the show listening so I don't know, I got these big eye rolls from Emily, so I'm not sure what you're talking about. So, all right, before we get into your company, Eucalyptus Med, I want to go over a little bit of back your background. So before you started Eucalyptus Med, what was your background?
2: Well, I'm, a, I'm an industrial engineer, and then I uh, studied an MBA at, in the U.S., and my whole career I've been an entrepreneur or an advisor for other entrepreneurs. So in Mexico, I co-founded a business accelerator. And, uh, you know, that was before I decided to drink my own Kool-Aid with Eucalyptus.
1: So that's an interesting question. I, I don't want to go too far into it, but that is a good concept. So first of all, I know what an accelerator is, but I want to make sure everybody else understands what an accelerator is. So you can just quickly explain to people what that means? Of course.
2: Well, in our case in particular, we were an accelerator that selected companies. There were SMEs, small and medium enterprises, and uh, we had to see in them a lot of growth potential. So then we invested in them, and also we help them grow. So this is like a the scale up stage in which you have a good idea that uh, has already been proven, and then you help them escalate nationally or, or internationally. That's that's what an accelerator does.
1: So you have a small company, and you want to get basically you want to scale your business. Is that what it is? That's correct. And so you help them. So was this uh, this accelerator company? Was that just you, or did you have a whole bunch of people helping out? How did that work?
2: A whole bunch of people. We were a 100 uh, in Mexico, and uh, we were strategy consultants, but also we needed uh, a lot of experts in recruiting. One of the key elements to scale a business is to have the best talent, and that includes not only the, the C-level, but also managers. So, so we're a big, quite a big
1: team. And what was your role at that company? I was the, the CEO, and you founded that company and grew it to a, a, a hundred people. Yes. Well, congratulations! So you've already been successful <laughs> once. And how? And of the accelerated companies, how many companies do you think you did join the accelerated program while you were there?
2: It would be probably around a thousand. Wow. Um, during my my, 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 my tenure, um, we worked a, a lot in tandem with uh, the Ministry of Economy from Mexico, so they would pay part of the check, and, uh, and the company would pay the other part, so that definitely helped us a lot. We also work with a lot of entrepreneurs. we a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs, because, you know, right now, fortunately, we have a, a lot of availability in terms of uh, knowledge, so, you know we, know, we know what's a business model canvas, or so we have access to a lot of uh, literature, but not necessarily we have access to developing the, the, the right skill set to become an entrepreneur, the right mindset. So we also focused on that and, uh, and helped a lot of uh, entrepreneurs from, from, from college to start their business.
1: Okay, so now you have this new company called Eucalyptus Med. When did that company start and how did you, what gave you the inspiration to start that company?
2: Well, it started in 2018 and we started in a, in a stealth mode. And the inspiration uh, were, were my parents, both our elders and seniors. And they're dependent. And I've been, I've been the only caregiver for the last 15 years. So along this time, I found out that, uh, I knew nothing about taking care of a senior. I had to be learning on the, on the fly. And I realized that there was nothing out there in the market to help both seniors have a better health, but also to help relatives be sure that they're well taken care of. So that was, that was the inspiration.
1: So you started this company alone, or did you have other people? I have
2: two other co-founders. One of them is uh, Dr. Alberto Palacios. He's a board-certified uh, geriatrician, very respected uh, among his peers. And the other one is Miguel Briones. He's uh, a, an expert in customer experience. So we, you know, he's on board because definitely... One of the things that you, the, the, the thing that you don't want to do and that you drag your feet to do is to go to to the doctor, so we want to definitely improve that that experience
1: and so you started the company in two thousand and eighteen all three of you started it at the same time
2: here joined one one year after, but he was involved from the from the beginning with uh all his expertise in in CX.
1: so explain how this how the company works in the sense of uh, so you're going after elderly people and providing caregivers, or what exactly do you do? What we do is we give
2: access to geriatricians, to our, to our patients. And the, the, the great problem is that there's only 742 geriatricians in the whole country, and uh, there's 15 million elders. So oh there's not enough of, of them to serve them. So what we do is that we send uh, a general practitioner to our patient's home. And this general practitioner works like a like a resident in a, in a teaching hospital. And this resident has uh, telemedicine equipment with them. So this resident performs part of a house call. And then they, uh, a, a, a geriatrician joins the, the house call through, through a, a video call to get a diagnostic and, uh, and to offer a treatment. After the calculette, the relatives are uh, notified of the of the result, and so this has a lot of benefits because it generates um, what what we call adherence. And adherence uh, to two things: one, to doctor visits. So ideally, a senior has to see a geriatrician at least three times per year, and that's according with the American Geriatric Society. And the other is adherence to their treatments. So you can give a prescription to someone but uh, then you might need to make sure that they take the medicine correctly and they take them you know to during the right period of time to have an effect. so one of the things that we do is is precisely that we We do this and um, we give our patients memberships through these memberships they can finish a treatment that really includes all the households they need, and also it includes personalized follow-up by the same general practitioner that visits their, their home. So, so that makes sure that uh, patients are well taken care of at, at any point in time.
1: So, Are you are saying you, that there's like real doctor visits or is it just telemedicine doctor visits? I mean, there's actually somebody... It's a real doctor visit. It's, it's the benefit of telemedicine, of, of connecting a, a
2: specialized physician on a distance. But there's a person... That, that goes to your house and performs part of the consultation.
1: But is this a doctor or is it just a, a geriatrician or a nurse? Or... It's a doctor. It's a doctor. It needs to be a, a
2: general practitioner. You know, in order for us to call it a consultation, it needs to be a doctor physically present. That's, that's uh, how regulation works down there in Mexico.
1: So, how is this cost effective? That's where I'm lost, okay? In America, if I want to get a physical exam, it's like a two month wait with COVID. And even before then, it was typically at least a one-month wait just to get my own physical exam. And the doctor, you know, you had to go to the doctor's office. I don't think they've had doctor visits, you know, in over 50 years in America. And I'm just trying to understand how this is scalable and how people can, can do this. So can you explain it?
2: Yes, of course. So a geriatrician, in, in a traditional consultation in their office, it takes them 60 minutes at least to perform a consultation. Indeed, it's because in Mexico... You know, the private practice uh, doctors work like uh, lone wolves. They do everything. But in a consultation going to a general practitioner that performs part of the consultation, which is basically the workup, the, the physical examination, then you only need the, the geriatrician to, to be in a consultation for 20 minutes. So basically geriatricians triple their capacity. So that's, that's number one. Number two, the charge uh, on average, I'm gonna, uh, you know, in dollar terms, they, they, they charge on average between $50 and $75 per consultation in their own office. We pay them $24 per consultation. So they're seeing more patients and they can even earn more per consultation. So it doesn't make sense for them. Now, in, in Mexico, we have a lot of very talented general practitioners. And every year, there's an exam. So that, you know, the ones that aspire to study a team, they apply to this exam. And so there's 40,000 applicants every year, and there's only 7,000 spots. So in Mexico, we have a lot of general practitioners available, if, if you may. And so what we have done is take this resource and pair it with the geriatricians in such a way that makes sense in, 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 in economically but also it's perfectly scalable.
1: So do you have this in the U.S. or is this just in Mexico for now? Currently, this is, uh,
2: only works in, in, in Mexico. Definitely, we're planning to go into the, to the U.S., but this is something that we are promoting in the U.S. because we have a huge uh, Mexican expat community that still has relatives in, in Mexico and they want to be taken care of. So yes, it's still in, in, in Mexico, but we will be coming to the U.S., and one more thing, in Mexico, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's almost 2 million expats, U.S. expats living in Mexico. Most of them are retired, and a lot of them are snowbirds, but roughly half of them are permanent residents, and most of them are seniors with no access to healthcare, as I, as I mentioned. So this is also a service that is very interesting for them, and this is one of the ways in which we're going to try to tap into the U.S. market.
1: Is this all pay as you go, or is there any insurance involved? In other words, does any type of insurance pay for this, like health insurance?
2: No, it's out of pocket. It's out of pocket um, right now. However, we're starting to work with uh, insurance brokers so that collaborators of of companies can uh, have their company pay for this as part of their benefit package.
1: All right. My co-host Tracy had a couple of questions. Tracy has a whole bunch of questions. In fact, her list is longer than Santa Claus, so it's a big list.
0: I don't even know what that means, but, <laughs> but go ahead first and, <laughs> and talk us through what was happening on the last, before our break, about well, you know Amazing my Capital brain, being one of your biggest challenges.
1: My brain goes everywhere, so that's the problem. Go ahead.
0: I know. Yeah. You know it's mean, March 1st. It, it could have at least been a leprechaun reference as opposed <laughs> to Christmas and the holidays, gang. All right, so big raising capital is your biggest challenge. Let's talk through that for a moment.
2: Of course. You know, when we started the, the company, we were first bootstrapped, and then we started to raise uh, some capital from friends from, from and family. But then the business began to, to grow. So then the, the funds required were, you know, it was very difficult to, to get them through friends and family. So yeah, back in Mexico, we tried to go to the current venture capital industry. And the great problem is that um, the, the minimum ticket for, for these venture capital firms is $1 million. So if your capital requirement is less than $1 million, then, then they, you're know, we're, we're not ready to get investment from them. So we were like caught in the middle. We didn't need $1 million. So we decided to go out to other parts of the world, particularly in the U.S., to to raise some, some, some uh, some of that capital.
0: So in terms of raising capital, let's talk about it in a phase one, phase two. So the raising capital that you've already been successful at achieving, where did you allocate those funds? And if you're going for a next round of fundraising, where do you anticipate that you'll need to allocate those funds?
2: Yeah, well, the, the, the initial funds were to uh it to the development of our telemedicine platform, number one. Number two, uh, in, in marketing, particularly web marketing uh, efforts. And number three, hiring some key personnel. Right now, uh, in our in next uh, round, you know, it doesn't change a lot. So we still need to invest more in our telemedicine platform. Because it, not only we use it to to perform our house calls, but also all the whole operation is uh, supported by this platform. So it, it's very important for us to keep track of, you know, when are we going to have a house call with someone? When do we need to give a follow-up call? So all of that needs to be scheduled. And every time we have an interaction with a patient, it needs to be recorded in, in their electronic health record. So doing that without... Uh, having a platform, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's really a cumbersome task. So that's, that's, that's number one. And also, right now, um, talking about technology, we, we also need to strengthen our platform in terms of uh, compliance, of, of, of security. We're beginning to work with uh, big corporations in pharma and, uh, and, and, and you know, huge insurance brokers, and they require us to have a minimal standard, so we need to be up to par so that's a great part of the funds are going are going in that in that direction and, and as i said we, we still need to uh, uh, grow our team uh, we need to have more key accounts we need to have more agents to uh, 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 serve our patients and our, uh, uh, our our prospects so that's where all the money is going
0: so well, i'm curious if you know if your background has been helping all of these other people through accelerators how has it been challenging for you to be on the other side of being the one who is trying to build the business versus helping other people build theirs?
2: Well, actually, I, I, I feel a lot better being on this side, being the other side, and just watching how many entrepreneurs are extremely are successful with their ventures, with uh, the, the advice that, you know, in part of the advice that we give them. You know it's always in my mind, so actually for me it's quite 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 the opposite it's it, I'm, I'm enjoying being being on this side uh, uh, you know being the still being a spectator i'm enjoying and and, and being you know the, 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 the star of the film
0: well, do you think that do do you find that the advice that you were giving to those other entrepreneurs are you having? Are you applying a lot of that of your own advice? I think, I guess what I'm trying to say is sometimes it's a lot easier to give advice to other people and for them to take it than it is for us to take our own advice. So I'm curious if you've struggled with, um, n- sort of knowing things to do, but then wanting to do things differently.
2: Definitely, you know, I, I've tried to drink my own Kool-Aid. Um, I try to do all the things that, uh, I, I advise my, my, my clients. And uh, the, the realization that I have is that uh, I still still needed a lot to learn. So even though I could give good advice, many elements there's still a lot of things that I didn't know, and uh, so so for me this is still a learning a learning experience.
0: So in in helping our other entrepreneurs that are listening today, could you share maybe some of the couple of points that you really have learned a lot from?
2: Yes, one of the things. Well, there's many things, you know. But the, one of the things that I've uh, that I've learned is that everything is going to be okay at the end of the day. You cannot be, uh, you know, with too pressured, uh all the time. You always have to think that, it, you know, things are going to be alright at the end of the of the day. Uh, so that's, that's that's number one. Number two, one of the greatest advices that I could uh, uh, to keep. Uh, someone is to trust uh, others, but also to, to verify. And number three, communication is something very key. And there's a, a saying in Mexico that, uh, you know, if you don't communicate something, it doesn't exist. So it's very important to make sure that uh, all the communication flows through all through your organization as you grow up. When you start up and everybody's in the same room or there's only three or four people, it's very easy to communicate. But when you start to grow your company, some of those lines of communication are broken and you need to make sure that information flows. Um, when there's no information, you create a void, and that void usually uh, it's covered by something else that you might not want. So, so that, that's something really, really important.
0: Is the majority of your team uh, virtual, or do you work uh, within the uh, confines of an office
2: structure? That's a great question. So we, we started we're a pre-pandemic company, so to speak. And uh, so at that moment, we didn't have an office. And, uh, and then the pandemic struck, and it made no sense for us to have an office. So we are a 100% home-based company. Precisely, right now that we were uh, answering some questions, uh, compliance questions, they were asking like, "Where are your servers? Uh, uh, are they where are they located? those, those are virtual server- servers. We don't have a, uh, an office. So, so uh, you know, it's curious that we have been operating this way ever since.
0: And so, when you were connect, when you were talking about the um, challenges around communication, what are some of the ways that you are or well, what are some of the systems that you're putting in place to help you effectively communicate with a remote team?
2: Yes. Well, you need to have different types of, uh, of, of, of meetings. You know, you don't want to have too many meetings, but you need to have the right amount of meetings with uh, 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 people. We have, for example, I have a meeting uh, every week with uh, my, my other two co-founders. But also we have then a meeting with our with our commercial team. And in that meeting with the commercial team, also other folks from operations uh are are, are, are involved so that they can be on the loop. We had another meeting in which we uh talk with all of our general practitioners. And and uh and we have an, an, another meeting in which we talk with all of our um all of our specialized uh, doctors. So it, all of that happens in in, in one week, and, and, and we make sure that all the information is flowing. So that that's that's number one. We we, we always want to be in in, in in contact. Number two, one of the things that I mentioned before is uh, that trust, but 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 verify. Um. So w- w- one of the things that uh, we 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 usually do is uh, you know touch base with uh, all of our collaborators. Um, in an ad hoc basis um to just to to see how they're doing and uh and, and, and to make sure that uh, 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 you know they're, they have all the tools uh, to do, to do that work and at the same time they're verifying that they're they're actually doing it so it's a lot of uh contact without making it too overwhelming right' cause, i
0: mean that you know that's a lot of different. Uh, cooks in the kitchen, and that's a lot of different people to manage communication flows. Um, I'd like to circle back to something that you mentioned that I'd love if you can elaborate more on. So you were talking about collaborating with both pharma companies and the insurance companies. How will that change the dynamics of your business, and will it also change the way your business model is structured?
2: You know, going with pharma... Working with insurance companies is our B two B two C strategy to expand exponentially. Right now, the efforts that we have done through that marketing, we're uh, basically we're basically done to test to test a uh, product in the in the market. With 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 pharma, for example, one of the greatest problems is uh, uh, adherence to to treatment. So what we're doing is uh, we're starting with work with them with some patient adherence programs in which we're going to make sure that they're taking their medicines correctly and, uh, and they're finishing their treatments. That's huge for, 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 for Pharma because, uh, you know, we're increasing their sales, and, uh, and, and, and they can track that ROI perfectly. In case of insurance brokers, we're offering a product that doesn't exist in the market, so for them it's really beneficial that they can have another uh, product in their, in their portfolio. And it's a unique product. There's nothing like it out there. So for us, that's that's the way in which we're going to scale in in in, in, in Mexico. And uh, it doesn't change our our the, the way we're doing a uh, um, business. From 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 the beginning, we wanted to to structure the business such a way that we can we can scale with opportunities like 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 this. What changes is that we're gonna start to have a a larger footprint in, in the whole country. Right now, we have presence in three cities. This is going to force us to start uh, hiring general practitioners on the ground in many, many cities in Mexico. But the tough part, so to speak, we have already done it, which is to create this platform to, to, to run all of it. And
0: And so since you brought the um, three cities in Mexico up, I'd love to hear your perspective on expanding outside of the country. So you obviously have an aggressive plan to expand within the country of Mexico, but what are your plans for expansion outside of Mexico and what's involved in that?
2: Yes, yes. Um, So obviously we want to uh, expand to other countries in Latin America, uh, particularly Spanish-speaking Latin America. Uh, the countries that have uh, similar challenges as, as Mexico and also have a similar infrastructure. So we believe that uh, this model can be replicated in those, in those countries. One of the things that's going to help us a lot in this replication is that also the, you know, there's a lot of expats from these countries living in the U.S., and uh, if we successfully start uh, serving the Mexican expats and their relatives in Mexico here in the U.S., then the work can be spread to other of the expats of Latin American countries so they can hire this for their relatives living back 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 home. So that's that's our initial strategy. And uh, naturally if uh, if there's changes in regulation in which uh it's more flexible to do international telemedicine, we would obviously love to enter the US market. Uh, you know, my, my in-laws, they're, they're from the U.S., and, uh, you know, I, I'm amazed that, uh, you know, there's, they, 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 they don't want to go to, to see the doctor because of the experience that they, they have, or if they want to see a doctor, they need to wait two, three weeks for that to happen. And, and, and I think that there's a great need also for, uh, uh, you know, in the U.S. for, for a product like ours. so if, uh, international regulations are flexible, then we might actually come here too.
0: Who would be your competition within Mexico, and then who would be your competition when you entered the U.S.?
2: Yes. So, in Mexico, we don't have any direct competitor. I would say that the direct or the closest to get direct competitor are the, the one-man show geriatricians that do traditional uh, consultation. There's some competitors in the market, like the you know, brick and mortar, traditional hospitals that are trying to incorporate uh, telehealth. There's other very novel competitors um, that are uh, doing um, insure tech, and, uh, and, and, and and one of them is called Sophia. And what they do is they offer unlimited uh, uh, consultations through telehealth with uh, with with their clients for a, for a fixed uh, amount per year. But the issue is that they don't serve uh, uh, people that are 65 years or older. So there's like, a, I don't know, like a lot of people don't want to get into this industry, the senior industry. So we're taking that as an, as an advantage uh, right now. And in the US, well, there's, I would say that the largest competitor that we would have, it's uh, it's called Papa Health. There are uh, 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 a company that uh, started uh, in, in Florida uh, that it's been uh, very successful initially to having like peer uh, support for elders. So someone younger would you know be paired with a, with a senior and help them in, in different arenas. But right now they have expanded also into healthcare. So I, I guess they would be our, our, our main competitor.
1: Why do you think that nobody... Is in the industry in Mexico going for people over sixty-five? Is that they don't have the money, or is it that you know? Because uh, usually competition rises. So usually, if something is going to be successful, it's usually a good indication when somebody says you've got competitors. When you when I hear that you don't have competitors, it scares me. That why not? Exactly, I, I think you know, it, 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 and it speaks to the system. Um,
2: as I mentioned, the, the the medical system believes that uh, you can treat seniors the same way you treat uh, younger adults. Uh, so there's no urgency; there's no need to treat them in a in a, in a different fashion. Um, so I think that that's ingrained in the in the system, and right now, simply people are not. Pay attention to it. And also, you know, because it's a very, very hairy, very difficult problem to solve. And also because there's not a lot of uh, resources um, uh, 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 available. Um, there, as I mentioned, there's only 742 There's There's a lot to be done. But precisely because there's a lot to be done, for example, the government is not making like huge campaigns saying, hey, go... Visit your geriatrician. It's the right doctor. They're not doing it because there's not enough geriatricians. So it's like a self self-fulfilling prophecy. That's that's my 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 insight on on on, on this.
1: Well, what's your expected growth rate over the next one one to five years?
2: Well, the, this year we expect to uh, have a, a one million dollars in, in revenue. You know, a little below that. The next year is going to be five. The following year is thirty-six, and the next one is eighty-seven uh, million dollars. That's that's the hockey stick. That's that's <laughs> a huge growth, um, <laughs> and it, that and that's only in Mexico. Um, it, and, and, and the reason why this uh, this makes sense, or what why this is going to happen, is because we're going to have a renewal. You know, we we have a very high renewal rate. It's above eighty percent, so that helps us a lot. And the other thing is that because Right now, we're selling memberships, and they're exclusively house calls. But on top of that, we're upselling other elements. For example, medicine delivery, um, right, right, to, right to your door. Uh, in Mexico, that's a, a, a huge issue. Um, the, the market is very opaque, so, so there's an opportunity there. Also, we're delivering uh, insurance, particularly for fractures for, for seniors. Uh, we're delivering uh, assistance in case of emergency, so we're up sending little things that are very necessary. But you know, we're piggybacking on the on the network effect we're, we're creating. That's why we have this this very interesting growth rate.
1: Thank you very much. Listen to to KHS 1220.98.1 FM. Thank you, Jorge. Thank you, Tracy. Till next week. Thank you. Week, we'll see you next Thank week. Thank you.